Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Captain Marvel in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Review number two for Captain Marvel, and just as a complete, fully upfront, transparent thing, uh, all spoilers. The so many spoilers in this this review. Uh, so so you have been warned, and hope you uh, take heed if you have not seen the film yet. But if you haven't, you should go see it. It's it's good. Um, yeah. Uh, review. For Captain Marvel. Uh, I already talked about it. I, I did a statistics episode on it uh, yesterday, uh, last on Monday. And now I've seen the movie three times. I saw it Thursday night, Friday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. And um, yeah, we're just gonna I'm just gonna kinda go through step by step. I have I've pulled up the Wikipedia plot, uh, which is relatively uh, detailed and I'm just going to kind of pull out scenes and and stuff and kind of go through it that way at first Um, it's not going to be super in depth that way and then once we and and probably throughout the the, the doing this and then at the end more so I'm just going to kind of go off on tangents and talking about relationships and characters and and, um, impacts on Uh, Endgame, maybe the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole, and uh, just kind of talk about this movie, because I think it's good, and I'm I'm excited to see it a fourth time. Uh, That'll happen probably, it's um, Tuesday recording this, probably like towards the end of next week, I will see it for the fourth time in theaters, Uh, which might be... I think might be the most I've seen a movie in theaters. No, it'll tie. Four times would tie The Dark Knight. Four times would tie The Dark Knight. All right, so Captain Marvel. Here we do it. Here we do. It. Let's do, let's do this. Opening shot. Opening part of the movie is the dream sequence. Sort of this flashbacky dream sequence uh, that ver ver ver. Dan Vers veers that veers is experiencing. And this is a, a recurring scene throughout the film. So I'm kind of kind of try to break that all down now. So the first time we see it, she's on the ground. She's got Cree blood already. Uh, Annette Benning is standing over her with the gun. And then we see through the dust cloud, through the, through the uh, soot, through all that stuff uh, in the distance, approaching is a Cree. And the Cree itself... Or the scroll is a scroll. The that scroll is not uh, Talos. It doesn't look like a scroll that we see in the film. Uh, main way you can distinguish the sky as not being Talos is the chin. Uh, Talos has kind of an indent in the middle of his chin at the bottom, uh, and this guy is flat chin, the bottom. Uh, so a random scroll approaches uh, and and. Veers is on the ground bleeding, and we have Annette Benning standing up with the gun. This, as we will later find out after seeing this sequence play out a few more times, is uh, being altered. Has is a sequence that has been altered by the Kree, 
who are I don't again it's tough to call either the Kree or the scroll uh, as a blanket statement good or bad guys uh, because I think we haven't quite seen enough of them yet and in this movie we get uh, good and bad Kree uh, you know Annette Benning is a good Kree she has a sort of um, reconciliation and and understanding and revelation about the war between the Kree and the scroll that turns her against the war itself and and toward you know trying to figure out a way to avoid this this conflict going forward and then you have the supreme intelligence and jude law and uh, so on and so forth as more of, of a negative bad side but even in that sense i i, I don't uh, in in the human in the in the specific character interactions we see from them they don't show themselves to be quote-unquote bad in my opinion i think it's more of a more of a delusion than anything else the ronin on the other hand and and a lot of the actions that we are told about but don't actually see are are the sort of evil bad things you know, the you know, forcing other planets, other races to uh, submit to their rule. Like, that is a pretty bad thing to do. But we don't really see that happening. It's it's told to us. And so, because of that, for me, I can't really connect, um, you know, Jan Rog and, and Jimon Hansu and Gemma Chan and those characters to those actions, per se, um, especially because, at least in the six years that Veers has been um, a Cree, quote-unquote Cree, she hasn't been engaged in that directive. Her, from what we understand, she spent all this time uh, fighting scrolls and, and killing scrolls because they are theoretically the enemy. So, we get a lot of different perspectives on the Kree and what their motivations and pers- and, and um, perspectives are. For the scroll, you know, opening shot, we get see the scroll. We don't really understand what it is yet. This is the first time we've seen them. And um, pre- they're set up as the bad guy. They are set up as, as you know, killing and, and being on the other side of things. When we eventually do get to... Uh, um, I forget what the planet they go to is. Uh, when they try to rescue the the Cree undercover Cree man- guy, uh, we get to see scrolls for the second time and see that there's shape shape shifting abilities and everything. And in that conflict, you know, it's not like anyone in that conflict is really presented as good or bad. Simply, they're at war and doing what you have to do when you're at war, which is fight and kill people. So. This shot of, of Brie Larson, Annette Benning, and a scroll uh, around the crashed uh, ship. We see it again later when Talos is digging through her head. We see it again uh, later, later, later when Talos reveals the black box recording and we get an actual depiction of what took place, which was uh, Brie Larson was not on the ground with Cree blood with. Annette Benning standing over her, and in fact, Annette Benning is the one shot and killed, uh, as we would find out by Jan Rog. And then 
before Yanrog can either kill her or leave her or whatever, uh, she blows up, she shoots and destroys the engine of the ship, which is remotely powered by the Tesseract, or I believe the Space Stone. And it, it in the explosion, she is infused, infected, altered by uh, the energy core, er, the energy, rather, and uh, just kind of becomes a superhuman being. You know, it's interesting because, you know, she doesn't really become a Kree because of this. She doesn't, you know, the reason she becomes in any way a Kree is because Yanrog. You know, she gets a blood transfusion from Yon Rog, and her blood is replaced with Kree blood. And so, you know, she's never Kree. She's only kind of uh, sort of Kree. And I guess that ultimately she is kind of... I guess now, I mean, it's not like she's going to... Maybe maybe she would get another blood transfusion or something. But otherwise, she's Kree. In blood, at least. Uh, so... What I like about this, and you are kind of put off guard and on the on your back foot in this opening scene. You don't know who any of these characters are. You don't know what a, uh, a scroll is or why she has blue blood. And when she wakes up and you realize that this is all a dream, this is all kind of a nightmare, kind of a recurring thing, you know, you can't really be sure at this point in the movie if this is her remembering something that happened, if this is her kind of combining ass elements of uh, what this movie is going to be because once we kind of realize that there's a Kree scroll war going on it's very easy for this opening scene to kind of play as okay look it's it's very simple it's these people against these people and that's the conflict and so on but it isn't that it's so much more than that it's it's you know and, and when you get to go back and watch this a second or third time knowing who the good quote-unquote good and bad people are you really get to see how this is something i think there's a dumpster truck outside there's this is something that the kree have implanted on her the supreme intelligence has implanted in her head and used and manipulated in a way to keep her in Hala. <clears throat> and when you when, when you have that understanding, it, it becomes sort of a this this question of, okay, so what do they want? So they've had her for six years now. Clearly, so so she wakes up, she can't sleep, the sun's rising, it's early in the morning. She goes to Jude Law, who is her mentor, commander commander she can't sleep he seems you know gives off you know this is something that's happened many times before they they go to spar and in the process of sparring he's explaining to her hey uh look we we can't uh you have these powers as she almost uses them first and then ultimately does use them against him uh because without them he you know, overpowers her. He's better trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat than she is, and um, theoretically uh, looks to be stronger, 
physically than she is as well. And he coaches her and he, he warns her, hey, look, don't, if you can't beat me without them, you can't really beat me at all. And with just that line, it's kind of questionable until he says, I just want to make you the best you can be. And that's, I think, so well positioned because I think, I mean, does he not say that until the subway? Uh, not the subway, but but the, the weird monorail type thing that they ride in afterward. I think, no, I think, because I think in, 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 in the sparring, he only says, you know, if you can't beat me without those, you can't beat me at all. You know, don't let your emotions get the better of you. And this is something I've heard in a lot of movies with training and, and fighting. If you give in to your emotions, you become unhinged, unstable. You know, you can't, uh, you know, keep yourself in check. I, I've heard it and seen it playing sports. You know, I think, you know, I played tennis and I know you look at some of the great tennis players and some of them are incredibly emotional. Some of them, you know, fire themselves up and yell and scream. You know, look at Rafa Nadal who, you know, is constantly like talking to himself and working himself up and scowling. He's got a lot of emotion running through him when he plays. And you compare him to someone like Roger Federer who, generally speaking, is very well composed. He does not, you know have those emotional outbursts he does not you know let them get the better of him quote unquote and it's you know both of them are two of the highest level you know highest capabilities highest quality tennis players to ever play the game and they both have very different formulas and i think to ever apply a blanket statement to you know, being good at something is a fallacy kind of from the jump. But we've seen this so many times in movies that it's kind of become its own trope. And you get to this point where it's, you know, the story kind of unfolds like you need to, you know, keep your emotions in check. And then ultimately the movie would progress to the point where this trainee, this student, this Padawan um, understands the lesson to the extent that they can harness their emotions, not subdue them, not stifle them, but harness them. And that kind of feels like what we're getting set up to do, to do in this movie. You know, she clearly doesn't have great control over her abilities just yet, but she's got to, you know, kind of be one with herself first. And then once she can master at least, you know, controlling herself, if not stifling her emotions, then she can move on. And, you know, it does kind of show in this opening sparring match that she can't beat Jan Rog without her fists of, uh, <clears throat> uh, without her, her fists of photon lasers. And even if, she, you know, even using them, the implication might even be that she's not really powerful enough to beat him anyway because he's not, you know, using anything except his own fists. And we later see that he does have uh, additional weapons in his arsenal. 
So he warns her, hey, look, you, use the, you, know, you let lose control again. I'm going to send you to the Supreme Intelligence, yada, yada. And then, of course, she does. She fires her fists at him, and he goes flying. So then we cut to them on the monorail heading to the Supreme Intelligence. They talk about what the Supreme Intelligence is, and it's um, an artificial intelligence, an organic one, who rules the Kree, which is interesting. Uh, so I, I don't really know much about the Supreme Intelligence on, on a comic book level. I don't know how that, how it functions relative to the Kree uh, outside of this movie, even. And... As it's presented, it's something that appears to the person seeing it as someone they trust, someone they respect, someone they look up to and admire. And so in this case, uh, the Supreme Intelligence appears to ver- Veers as uh, Annette Benning's character, who we don't really know who she is at this point. And when we first see her, we see her twice as Supreme Intelligence. She's in the Cree uniform, she's in the Cree colors. Uh, Veers makes a special uh, note to say, "Hey, look, I don't even know who you are. You don't. I don't remember you, uh, etc." And you can tell the way Annette Benning perf- acts in this scene, in this sequence, that she feels kind of stilted. She feels kind of out of place. She doesn't feel comfortable in the uniform. She doesn't feel comfortable where she is. She doesn't feel comfortable in in Veers's headspace even. And I, I love that so much because when you contrast that to the scene she has later, when she does, when Veerson does know who Annette Benning is, when she does know who Marvell is, and and she comes in and she's got the music playing and she's wearing you know the the Air Force jacket and on and on. Uh, now she feels relaxed. She's able to move and dance and and enjoy. And, and just the atmosphere is so different, uh, so just strikingly different. And Annette Bening plays both of these scenes so well to really show you, oh yeah, this first one, out of place, off kilter, not not good. And the second one, yeah, uh, now pulling this memory out of your head, understanding who you look up to, you really do care about this person. You really do uh, want to embody everything that they stand for and despite both times having the supreme intelligence you know being kind of focused on continuing to delude veers and and convince her that you know she isn't what she is the 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 presentation is is so uh, such a stark contrast uh so we get kind of Jude Law telling her, Yunrog saying, hey, you know, like, I'm not going to tell you who my person is and get a little nice banter here, which kind of enforces that it's kind of a mentor-trainee relationship that, that the, the two share, but it's definitely a little bit more than that. It's a little stronger of a bond. You know, clearly he is connected to her on a deeper level, and we later find out that Yunrog's blood is what you know, is inside of Veers, and so obviously there's a, a greater sense of attachment between the two of them. He is most likely tr- tasked with, you know, being the one who continues to convince her, hey, don't use your emotions, don't use your powers that we're restricting, you know, and so on, and suppressing. So he, he's got a lot on his plate as well to, to, you know, keep up this charade, keep up this facade. Uh, when we meet the Supreme Intelligence... 
she she gets wrapped up in these blue tendrils which are poorly affected and the supreme intelligence kind of you know doesn't give us anything new kind of just repeats what we got from young rog you know he said you were you were ready and she's like i am ready and she's like you gotta restrict your emotions you know we gave you these powers and this is where the idea of um this sort of gaslighting element comes in of the supreme intelligence says that the reason she has these powers these fists of photonic fury is because of the kree and when we we find out <clears throat> from veers that her first memory is waking up in hala 6 years ago so she doesn't remember ever not being Cree. As far as she's concerned, she is Cree. But at the same time, we know that she she knows that she has Yanrog's blood running through her. Because when he shows up and meets fake Veers, and you know, they do the you know, tell me something that, you know, a scroll wouldn't know about you, he knows that she knows that because he asks her right so the assumption would be she would have to know the answer to that because he wouldn't ask her if he wasn't trying you know if he didn't he wouldn't ask her something she didn't know the answer to so i'm not sure if that's supposed to indicate that she she's supposed to think she's cree and also that she's um that you know she was hurt and now she, and that like he just kind of gave her a blood donation to help get her through or if she knows there's more to it than that, and that all of the Cree blood running through her is his, I kind of think it's the former, but uh, it's a little um, undefined. And but uh, ulti- so ultimately, supreme intelligence, you have these abilities because we gave them to you. So that raises the question uh, already. Why does she have abilities that are so different from any of the other Kree we eventually see? So we've only seen Yan-Rog at this point. Next scene is them going out on a mission. And we see um, Veers with Korath, who's Jimon Hounsu's character. Uh, we see Minerva, who is Gemma Chan. And uh, Atlas and Bronshar, who are played by Rooney Tempte and Algenis Perez-Soto. Uh, who are both all members of Star Force with Jan Rog, Jude Law as the captain, commander. So what, even all of them, when we finally do see them in action on this new, this planet they go to, they all have different weapons, different, you know, things that they use, and they all have different technological enhancements but none of them have abilities that come close to looking or feeling like what veers has and that's kind of where this sort of uncertainty should should start to kind of percolate uh which is why would they give her abilities and how would they give her abilities that no one else has what what what's the purpose of this why why you know, it's like if some if it's like a human waking up to find that they have like I don't know a, a a lobster claw hand, right? Why would we give them a lobster claw hand 
and like yeah we but like no then you walk around the streets of the city literally no one else has that no one else has anything close to that uh you know the closest thing you could ever possibly find to a lobster claw hand and i'm talking like red lobster actual thing is you know like uh an amputee who who has a prosthetic or or something and even then it doesn't it's not even close you wouldn't have ever expect the two things to come from the same place you would think oh this is some hack veterinarian surgeon guy who didn't know what the hell he was doing so i don't for me red flag all right her abilities are so different than theirs uh it, it just feels out of place which uh, maybe lends itself more to uh, the f- the latter explanation of maybe she does know she's not really Cree or doesn't kn- does know that she's not really su- belongs there. She just knows that they took her in. They, you know, helped her out. And uh, but even still, you know, if they're giving her that power, then I don't know. It does it does feel like there's something off there. And yet because she's been continuously told hey don't use your emotions don't think about this forget about the past let it go she's not thinking about it she's not worrying about it so they go off on this mission team of six six uh minerva and oh boy and atlas make sure i get um make sure i have the right person I think it's Atlas. Nope, it's not. It's uh, the other one. I know. I was right. No, it's it's yeah, it's Atlas. Um, yeah. So Al Algenis Perez Soto and Minerva, uh, Atlas and Minerva hold back. They have like the long range scope. They're they're scoping out the area, uh, whereas. Veers, Jan Rog, uh, Bronchar, and uh, Korath all go in toward the homing beacon. So they're they're here to rescue uh, a Cree informant on a planet that is not Cree or Skrull, but has in theory been invaded by Skrull. Meanwhile, you have the accusers, Ronan, uh, attacking, d- drawing a diversion from this beacon. You know, his this guy has been compromised, Solar, and they have to rescue him and get his information. And if they can't, uh, you know, it's going to be really bad. So, the, the like two minute, two seconds after they get there, there is this disturbance in their communications. Minerva and Jan Rogs lose communication with each other. And all of a sudden, you know, all right, this is this is not good. You know, we we we're in deeper than we thought we were from the jump. Uh, we've got the signal coming from inside this cave, and for whatever reason, and and this is confusing to me. This might be one of the weaker parts of the writing. Veers is permitted to go in by herself. So, I can't understand why, and I'll try to explain it to myself, I guess, uh, but it doesn't make any sense if, if, as we established, 
uh, Yanrog is responsible for her. Yanrog is the one who has to take care of her, oversee what she's doing, uh, you know, prevent her from realizing the truth and, and understanding things. Why he would let her go by herself. Now, I think the main explanation for this is that One, as at the time that he makes that decision, they haven't confirmed that it's a trap, but he does mention, hey, this could be this could be a trap. And as well as we learn that um, they have a specific uh, code that they, and it seems random, uh, a code that they use to, un- to identify each other. But prior to at least this instance, it has never been broken. And so the idea that it could have been broken and that, you know, so ideally if Veers goes in, says the code and the other guy has it, it's him as far as they're aware. If he doesn't say it, if he doesn't have the code for whatever reason, it's a scroll. Uh, but then before, uh, before we realize that Talos is impersonating Solar, we do get the the um the ambush minerva ready you know ready to fire on these these residential people of this this planet is stopped by atlas who tells her look it's i found a couple of them dead they don't have purple blood which is the blood of the scrolls and then as she's looking through the scope she sees atlas down there attacking them and turns and kills the atlas next to her who turns out to be a scroll so it's an ambush. They're immediately all in attacking. And I like this. I like seeing the different variations of abilities that they have. You know, Minerva's gun and, like, the one shot she fires that, like, she can target multiple people and it, like, ricochets between them. I thought that was cool. This is the time when we first really get to see uh, Jan Rog's, um sort of, sort of, uh, I don't know what you would, I don't know what you call it, the the abilities they have but it's kind of like this vibration augmentation that like can can suspend things in midair kind of like using the force almost and he can like lift things up and throw them around and like that's neat uh whereas korath who's jimon hans's character just kind of has two swords whatever and uh bronchar just kind of uses his fists (laughs) um he has like gauntlets that light up uh far less uh fun and atlas just kind of has two guns either way but i mean you know they're they're all competent it's it's cool to see them all they all have different abilities and different methods so that's nice we get this before talos reveals himself and as that happens you know veers is like oh what's going on what's happening and we look out and and jude law's like it's an ambush it's an ambush is everything okay in there or you know make sure you know he's who he has he says he is etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's when uh, Veers is taken by surprise and tasered effectively uh, in 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 the neck chest face area so as we learn Talos used presumably this this memory extracting device on solar to figure out his code. And we learned from Jan Rog that the code is buried in his subconscious. So he didn't really even know. 
Uh, and so the point being, and what they kind of say, they bring, they set this up earlier. Uh, no, they don't set this up earlier. They set this up later when uh, Veers and Fury interact that when you get simmed by a scroll or, or copied, they can only pull back, pull up recent memories. So if the scroll turns into Solar, they can, you know, get into get it get at recent memories that he had. Uh, so presumably, you had have to give him the code either well in advance, and he can't think about it <laughs> ever. Or embedded in his mind so that he can't think about it, which is what they say they did. And then, so, but but now that they the scroll have this technology for whatever reason, and it's not explained that this is something that they made recently or not. But whatever they use on on Veers to get into her head, they used on Solar, and they can clearly get into the mind of someone and find things that she never even knew were in there. And I think that's a nice way to kind of parallel with Solar. Like, he has this thing buried in his subconscious. They obviously were able to pull it out of him. They go into Veers. They find all these things in her subconscious that they pull out of her. And she's like, where did you get that? What did you put in me? And he's like, nothing that wasn't already in there. So, okay. All right, I kind of, kind of talk myself down from being upset that she went in by herself, but I don't know. I still, still think, and obviously you don't really get this scene if if Jude Law's in there with her, but I don't know. I, I kind of weird. I, I still feel still a little, a little weird that he didn't go in with her. That he would let her, you know, kind of be separated from him in that in that kind of a way. So she's taken. And this is one of my favorite sequences in the movie, which is you have uh, Ben Mendelsohn as Talos, and um, find his name. Doesn't look like I see it. Um, what are they? Oh. Uh, Matthew Marr, I think, is is science guy in this movie. So the two of them are having this conversation uh, while we're seeing clips from Veers' past. And I thought this was so fascinating, so interesting. They're, they're looking for something. We don't know what it is, but we later learn that it's the... First, it's Dr. Wendy Lawson, and then it's coordinates to where they're going, uh, which is ultimately where he knows his family is hidden. And, you know, at this point, they already know that uh, Lawson or Marvell is um, is a is a is on their side of this conflict. So, but they don't know that they obviously they don't think that anyone else is. And so, you know, they know that Marvell is. And when they go back and they realize, you know, okay, this is Planet uh, C fifty three. And um, you, you get to, you know, we're on Earth, and, and suddenly they're seeing Brie Larson, Carol Danvers, and wondering, okay, how is this the same person? What are we doing here? This is not the person that we captured. It's not a Cree. 
And uh, they kind of like push that aside once they catch up with Annette Benning, And we get that great scene of Annette Benning and uh, Carol Danvers talking. And then she walks away and then she pops up again and then she walks away and she pops up again. They focus on her name. They get Wendy Lawson. Then they track the identity of Wendy Lawson through Veers' mind and find her again at in the plane, which is so neat. And uh, they try to catch on to the... the coordinates um and and this is an interesting note so veer uh so carol pulls the eject ejector to get out of the plane she flies out they rewind it she jumps she rewinds back into it when we finally see what really happens there she doesn't eject out of the 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 aircraft right it doesn't work and i think it's so interesting it's it's totally glossed over other than this, which, so the implication here being that if they ever find, if she's ever able to access her memories, they've still been altered anyway to, I guess, some sort of premise where she is ejected out and then intercepted by the Kree spaceship, I think, uh, which is its own, itself, you know, kind of an interesting note kind of interesting little detail uh so they get they get through her head and they aren't able to get the details that they want and so fears breaks free uh she has that little exchange with talos like what'd you do to me what'd you put in my head and he's like it's just you know it's all kind of fucked up in there and we didn't really do anything it's what it is and uh and you know ensue a fight sequence that has its moments i think the uh, the premise of her kind of having her her fists bound and in, in this fight is interesting and fun uh, i don't think they do quite enough with it though and she eventually escapes in a pod but yeah uh, talos is, shoots the control panel and it ends up kind of short circuiting and, and landing her on earth as she crashes through a blockbuster yeah so fun and now, so we kind of entered the the second act of the movie now. We're on Earth. She knows. She she gets out of Talos that they're looking for um, a light speed engine that Wendy Lawson was working on. And again, another red flag as far as, you know, the truth of what we're being shown. If Talos is the villain, why is he giving her so much information? Right? it just it feels and I again I I question Talos the same way you know why he because from the beginning he's he's kind of aloof he's a little jokey and yet when he's put you know theoretically in in mortal danger by her he's completely forthcoming about the truth and I think most villains in that position lie in an in an attempt to you know get out right whereas he is very forthcoming you know he's actually you know no like this is we're finding this person and we're finding the thing that they're doing um because that's important to us and so her plan when she gets on earth is to first contact jude law jan rog and then track down wendy lawson and this um space jumping ship thing uh, to prevent the scrolls from getting, because from her point of view at this point, 
if they get their hands on this technology, they can infiltrate far more planets far faster, right? So this is from their point of view is them accelerating their infiltration infestation. She contacts Jude Law, she lets him know about this, and he's like, no, 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 don't worry about it, come back. Uh, and she's like, kind of ignores him. And, you know, recurring theme, she doesn't really do what Jude Law wants her to do, uh, because she thinks that there's a better decision to make, and this is kind of the human side of her. You know, it's not even, you know, uh, there, you know there's the old adage, you know, you know, whatever skin color gender nationality whatever you cut us we all bleed red and she doesn't bleed red she bleeds blue and i think this movie does a great job of showing that's not even enough to to say we're all the same you know it's it's far more it's it's not anything physical you know even blood can be a different color and that doesn't make us different. And I like that. I like that. It's not in your face message, but it's a good one. And so she's still human. And uh, as she's about to go chase down and figure out where Wendy is, enter Fury. Uh, Fury and Coulson show up. De-aged. Fury, I think, I think I said this before, I like Fury de-aged. I think he looks good. I think Samuel Jackson can act 25 years younger if he's even has to. Uh, Coulson, on the other hand, uh, shaky. Didn't even feel like he was actually de-aged. It looked more like he just had makeup and prosthetics on and he couldn't move his head. So Fury in, as, as still a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, you know, she hits him with Kree, Skrull, Shapeshifter, Photon Blast, all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, okay. And then they get attacked by a Skrull. She attacks back, nobody gets hurt, and she chase, She runs off, foot chase. Fury gets in the car with Coulson, who's not Coulson, who's actually another scroll. And then we also saw uh, uh, Ben Mendelsohn playing Keller show up as well um, at the very start of this, moment, this sequence in the day. So we've got three scrolls accounted for. We saw four of them come out of the water. I don't think the fourth one ever comes into play again. Because we've got Science Guy. Uh, I'd actually have to take a look. Because I don't think Science Guy was the one on the subway. Right? So, and then the one that pretends to be Coulson is killed. And then you have um, Talos as Keller. And then Science Guy. So there's four counted for. But the guy on the subway, he just kind of disappears. We never see him again. He doesn't get killed. You know, she chases him through the subway. He's not there. She doesn't find him. She doesn't catch him, ultimately. Whereas Fury kills the one he that, you know, is in his car. So then there's three left. And then we from that point on, we only ever see Talos and Science Guy, played by Matthew Marr. So I don't. I, I've watched this three times now. I'm still confused as to what happened to this fourth guy. But I don't know. Maybe he's. So that's the thing. Like he could simply just be still on Earth. He obviously did not leave Earth, because um, we eventually see Science Guy killed by Jude Law. I don't know what happened to the fourth guy. I don't know where he went. So, 
foot chase. We get to the subway. He disguises himself as an old woman. She punches the old woman. They fight. Uh, he turns into this, you know, middle-aged guy. I like this moment. Um, one, I like the moment of her, like, stalking through the subway to find who he is because the guy could change into anything. I also like... Uh, we see him... when we, we think back when she has the conversation with Jan Rog right before she goes into the cave. He mentions, hey, look... One way in, one way out. This is a great place for an ambush. And that's exactly what happens. You get to the subway, and the middle-aged guy climbs up to the top of the subway. And as soon as that happened, the first thing I was thinking of, one way in, one way out, this is an ambush, in a more you know, simplistic sense of the term. She climbs up, and surely enough, he's waiting there for her and kicks her back. Almost parallel. Like, she, it she's still incapable of of i don't know she's still not thinking the same way she's still the same person she's still not able to kind of predict that coming at her which i thought was a nice touch uh they fight a little bit on top of the subway you've got fury and colson in the car below uh eventually they they veer off and we get colson on the radio like hey guys i'm still the blockbuster uh, fight between Coulson and Fury, or Scroll Coulson, uh, Scrollson, Scrollson, Scrollson and Fury. Uh, Fury eventually, uh, he's got Fury, he's got the advantage over Fury, and then he whips the car around into an oncoming bus uh, so that Scroll Scrollson gets hit first. Oh, it's so good, Scrollson. Um, uh, so then. He's killed, and when he's killed, he reverts back to being a scroll. Fury sees this and freaks the fuck out, uh, but then calms down immediately, covers him with his his coat, and he's like, I'm a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, in the background, we saw Veers get off the subway, lost her man, and uh, just kind of st- walking around now. She did pick up, so if you remember, when they're going through her brain, she wakes up, she sees them remove this this small rock from their computer system. She picks it up on the subway from the other scroll who drops it. She puts it in her arm suit thing. And it kind of just gives her an identity of, of Wendy Lawson and kind of tracks her down a little bit. Um, eventually giving her enough information to see a bar, the name of a bar. And then it kind of fizzles and shorts out. Uh, so she knows where she's going, and we see her. So si- so simultaneously, we've got Fears, who goes to search for the bar on a computer. Uh, man, fucking 95, 1995 computers. Phew. And then using a really outmoded like map that she unfolds and is enormous and not uh, whatever. At the same time, uh, Fury and uh, Teller, who's actually Talos, are, in, are with a science tech who are dissecting the scroll that died. And this is another point where we get to see kind of the abilities of the scroll to kind of embody a person. And in this scene... Even up until the point where you know Talos kind of shows to us to the camera that this, he's actually somebody else, he's actually Talos. 
he passes, right? He passes next to Fury, who is a pretty good eye for, especially, he's two pretty good eyes at this point uh, for identifying people and, and figuring out who they are. And even Fury can't see through it yet. You know, it takes something ultimately later on by calling him Nicholas uh, to, to really, t- you know, find the flaw in, in this copy. I think one thing that really sticks out to me at one point, so, and I, I hate this. They did this in Downsizing. I hate this scene every single time I see it. It's something you're not sure what it is or or something takes place that you aren't, like whatever. Like whether you're in Downsizing, it's shrunk down, or in this, it's an alien. Fury lifts up the sheet to like look at the guy's junk, presumably to see if he has it or not, or if he does have it to see if it's big or not, which uh, so dumb. I hate this every time. Huge pet peeve of mine. And we don't really know what he sees. Fury kind of makes this expression of like, oh, so like he's kind of surprised by what he sees. But that could mean there's nothing. Could mean you know it's big or it looks funny or it's not doesn't look like a penis at all. It's maybe there's two penis. I don't know who who knows. What was weird and was interesting is is Keller Talos disguised as Keller kind of makes the same reaction, I think, uh, as if he knew that this was coming somehow, which is really strange. I have to look. I have to. I really want to focus on that the next time I watch it because his expression, if I remember correctly, was kind of one of similar, like "oh." And obviously, I'm, I'm guessing he's never seen this other scroll's, you know, genitals. But I mean, as a scroll, he kind of should know what to expect, so it wouldn't be surprising to him. I don't know, but maybe he's just kind of picking. Uh, he might simply be picking up on Fury's you know, reaction and kind of mimicking that to kind of fit in. So I have to see, you know, how simultaneous that takes place. Um, Meanwhile, uh, we got Veers looking at the map. This douche bro rolls up on his his motorcycle. Hey, honey, why don't you smile more? She's like, fuck you. And uh, steals his motorcycle and clothing off of a mannequin. Now she looks the part. And uh, she rides off into the sunset. Meanwhile, Fury is sent to go track her down. Uh, he ends up getting to the place she's going before she does, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but presumably, he flies and she motorcycles. Um, and then we get this great scene between the two of them, and we really get to see, we we saw the two of them interact before. I really love the banter. I really love sort of the camaraderie the two of them share, even when they're not on the same team at first. You know, he's perfectly willing to kind of open himself up and, you know, be honest with her about his past, uh, partly because he probably doesn't want her to shoot him or hurt him, but also because, you know, he's there to kind of stall her and figure out information and get into underneath her. But I also love, you know, when we see Fury the first scene, He's in control, and he thinks he's in control, and he acts like he's in control. And now, after seeing, okay, there's aliens, okay, maybe she 
doesn't have a weapon. Maybe that's her him, herself you, shooting those lasers and so on, which you know he sees is true. It's nice to see him on the back foot for a change. We've definitely seen him in, in Peril before, you know, in Winter Soldier. We saw him, you know, on the other end of the Winter Soldier. But we've really never seen him in kind of a conversation, having a dialogue with someone who he doesn't feel like he's in control of. He always feels like he can get the best of Tony, of Captain America, so on, even, even Black Widow. But this being the first superhuman person he's ever really interacted with, he... And, and her being this foreign alien person who is incredibly powerful, she knows, relative to humans, that she is, you know, far superior from a physical and, and power standpoint. And she's just, you know, for her, this is, this is nothing. And yet for him, this is, you know, this is pretty earth-shattering. And so it's nice to see Fury kind of on his back foot, kind of not in control, you know, able to be, you know, kind of talked down to at various points and chided even. I really like that. Um, we learned that, you know, Fury doesn't eat toast if it's cut diagonally, which as someone who has a lot of food peculiarities, I love. I think that's great. I think that's really neat. Uh, for me, I, I, I really, I don't eat meat anymore, but when I fast food burgers, I really didn't like square patties, uh, like Wendy's, because I don't like the corners. I like it round when because there's no corners. That's one of my many, many, many food peculiarities. So they convince each other that they're who they are, and she convinces him to take her to Pegasus. And Pegasus is part of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so Fury is able to do that, get her in. Um, they get into S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, more banter, more fun, we're introduced to Goose, it's nice. And this is one of my favorite scenes. I, I love actually the entire sequence in Pegasus. I think all I think the action elements of it are good. I think the intrigue of it is good. The drama, the emotion are all good. The performances. We get this scene uh, with... Fury and Veers in uh, the records room in this hallway. They're looking at Wendy Lawson's information. Um, first, we have Veers discovering that her um, her uh, the plan uh, the the engine the what is it light speed engine light speed travel engine. It, it, the plan was dis, disbanded. She's like, why is that? And he's like, because she's crazy. And it shows the Kree glyphs. <clears throat> we don't really have any basis for this. Like, you show us this, and I think, other than the fact that we're in a movie about Kree and Skrull, I wouldn't have other guessed that they were Kree glyphs, specifically. But they are. And so, realization that Wendy Lawson was a Kree. Uh, and so, this is further complicating the plot and then we learn that she's dead and a lot of redactions but that she took down another pilot with her uh fury steps out um after he so he contacts uh keller and is like hey i'm detained with the alien 
come get me. And they're like, hey, we're here. So he goes to greet them. And we get Veers kind of discovering, okay, uh, so this she knows this is the person that she respects the most, the person she looks up to. Now she finds out that, you know, Annette Benning's dead and she's also a Cree. So, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things to process. And then, as if to make matters worse or, or more muddled and confused, she sees in one of the images uh, a picture with her in it as the pilot. So one plus one, uh, she was the pilot. Uh, she learns that, you know, she was killed six years ago, yada, yada, yada. Uh, this is uh, evidence that she was human or had a life on C-53, which is, it's, it's a lot, right? We, we've seen a lot of characters in any kind of movie, really, just absorb information. And, you know, when you get hit with something, like, I don't know, like, the person you most admire is dead that's a big thing like that's that's you know shake you to the core type information and then you just kind of pile it on oh she was also an alien Cree. oh you were also used to live on earth oh you probably died as well or maybe you didn't or you know who knows what happened in the truth of this and you know and it goes on and on and on and on it's just just you can't react to all of them at once you have to kind of go through each thing and that takes a lot more time and it does, in my opinion, come across as more like, okay, I got to figure this out. Okay, hold on. Let me process. Let me process. And you have to process before you can really have that emotional reaction. And that's if you're just a person. But let's say you're a person that has for six years has been consistently told don't feel emotions, bury your emotions, subdue your emotions, hide your emotions, stifle them, stifle them, stifle them, stifle them. It's, I, I love for Brie, who, who has, who, who both in this sequence when she's on in the, in the aisle with the records, and then next thing we see her when she calls uh, Jan Rog and she's kind of explaining to him what she's found. This, Obviously, she really has a lot coursing through her, but at the same time, she's spending all of her effort to hold it back. And you can see it kind of peek through every few seconds and like every kind of twitch, every every shift in her expressions, uh, you know, her eyes kind of welling up, tearing up. You know, this is a huge thing. This is a big deal. And she knows how she wants to feel and she can't feel that way she can't and she can't quite get there um we learn from Jan Rog that um and, and this is interesting you know he he plays this off as if you know in the meantime he's been like doing information and research on on this on c53 but i would i would actually hazard a guess that he just knew everything and is slowly, he's like, oh, well, I guess I can, all right, she knows enough about this now, I gotta, I gotta give her something, okay, yeah, so Marvel was, you know, a Kree, undercover Kree, and yada, 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 and this weapon was something that was going to help us win the war, and that seems to kind of 
on, on for at least one of the many revelations that, that Veerus has just under just just recognized, that seems to kind of placate her for a sense. Uh, then we have Teller shows up. Uh, Fury catches wind that he's not who he says he is when he uses his name Nicholas. They he deceives him. Um, he can't find Carol. He fights with Teller. Teller is obviously better than him because he's an alien and, and Fury is actually like 70 years old. So Veer saves him after coming back despite knowing that he called in reinforcements. And again, we see another instance of Veer's being the one in control. You know, she's like, How? I can't believe you did this. And he's like, My bad. And, you know, he knows he fucked up. Uh, but. You know, obviously he didn't know he was fucking up when it happened. Uh, Coulson stops them. We get the, you know, kind of origin story for Coulson in the sense of, oh, Coulson thinks with his gut more than with his head. I mean, this pays off, but I don't know. I really didn't need Coulson in this movie at all. Uh, I think the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does more than enough to to characterize Coulson and, and make him a fully fleshed out character in that I, I didn't need him in this anyway they get free and uh they escape on a plane with goose <laughs> and uh they head over to maria rambo who is the last person to see carol danvers or wendy lawson alive she lives in this gorgeous <laughs> beautiful house beautiful property she has her own plane she's fixing up uh, curious. I mean, I guess she she must do real well for herself, because um, that's pretty crazy. Uh, looks really expensive. Uh, but I guess I don't I don't know if property like value is lower in Louisiana than it is other places. But either way, <laughs> great looking house. And this is about uh like about halfway through the movie. We saw Maria uh, once in one of the flashback sequences when when Talos was digging through Veers' mind, and we meet. Um, we we also saw uh, Maria's daughter Monica for a brief second, and we see her again. She greets Veers as Auntie Carol, which is a great way to introduce this this dynamic of okay, this is someone. We kind of understood them to be really good friends already. But it, it, it's so much more than that. They're family. This is Carol's family. And we get the sense like, oh, you know, we saw in the history, uh, in the flashbacks, her father wasn't really great with it. She wasn't she didn't really like her father, but she loved Maria. She loves Monica. And they kind of smash cut to, I don't believe any of that shit. And so she, like, makes water boil. Oh, my goodness, she's amazing. She's a magic person. And she has this great... She sits down across from Maria. She has this great conversation. Um, I love uh, Lasana Lynch here. I thought she did a fantastic job in this conversation about... Like, I can't imagine, you know, this must be so hard for you. And she correctly interprets her indicating like, oh my goodness, aliens and, and you know, Kree and Skrull and shapeshifters, blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, no, no. That, whatever. I care about you 
being alive for six years, so stubborn that you can't die uh, coming back. And, you know, that's that's the part that... And she tells her about, uh, you know, what, what happened before the plane crash and, you know, the day that happened. And I... I it's... I do, on one hand, think that Marie and Monica kind of... Uh, Maria more than Monica. Monica, as a kid, you know, magic, amazing, love it, it's so cool. Buy it immediately. Because, you know, you're a kid. You still believe things like that could be real. Whereas Maria, I understand that the script and, and movie is trying to play it off as she's just so... She's more floored by... Carol being alive, Carol being here, uh, and and things like that. Then she is, then she can even like process the alien part of things. Uh, I still think she doesn't quite react appropriately. Uh, surprised, shocked enough. Um. So furthermore, we 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 get the conversation between the two of them. And it does feel like, I can't believe you're, you know, I can't believe I never knew and you don't remember anything. But underneath it all, and I love this about Lasana Lynch's performance, it's really clear to me, at least watching it, the scene, that despite the, 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 the absence, despite the change of dynamic, change of situation, lack of memory, and so on and so forth, she still cares and supports Carol so much. You know, she is so happy uh, and, and doesn't really know how to show it at this point because she's still dealing with like a bunch of other emotions. And I think like that's kind of like a through line of this movie is just getting hit with like 20 different emotions and revelations at once. And the only person who really comes out of that uh, revelation with you know, standing is Monica, who's a kid, which makes sense. I just, I, I love it. We get this great, it's just such a fantastic friendship between Maria and Carol. They're so good together. They care so much about each other. Uh, we get, you know, Carol sifting through the photos and, and, you know, looking at the past and knock on the door. It's her neighbor. Carol thinks it's Talos, uh, which it isn't. But could have been the third, the, the fourth uh, scroll that we lose track of, but I guess they don't make it out to be. Then we see Science Guy disguised as Maria with Monica outside. And Talos appears. And we, we've seen Talos as now Keller, where he's a little more menacing as Keller, but even as Keller, Teller, sorry, even at, no, Keller, yeah, even as Keller, I think I've been interchanging those this whole time, Keller, as Keller, when he's with Fury in Pegasus, you know, he even, ha he has that one, like, kind of line where he's talking about how, man, the glasses, the, you know, I don't really need these, but they kind of complete the look, don't you think? So, he's kind of had that roguish charm silliness to him. I think they take it a little too far with the, the drink, the paper cup slurping. Uh, you never know when you're gonna need some sugar. I didn't like that line either. But after that, you know, he, he, I liked the way he reacts to, 
you know, Maria saying, I'm going to put, put my foot somewhere that it doesn't belong. He's like, am I supposed to guess? Uh, you know, he, he has that, he, he doesn't come off as a villain. And I think even when he's about, you know, he fights Fury, when he gets blasted away, it wasn't like he was in a position to kill Fury. He didn't pull out a weapon. He was just standing there. Uh, which is another small detail that I think the movie does a great job of of elevating because, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I've got you a gunpoint. It was, I'm just standing above you. And we don't get enough information to know what his next step was going to be. So he comes in front of everybody. He looks like himself. He's not disguised. And he's like, hey, let me just talk. Let me talk. Let me talk. And again, this is kind of a thing, you know. If the if he was a villain, this is like I'm gonna monologue for a little bit. I'm gonna tell you our plan. I'm gonna tell you our secrets. And in this time, I'm gonna you know surround this house by a thousand of my buddies, and then we're gonna you know beat the shit out of you. And that's not how it works. He's like, no. Like, well, let me talk. Like I promise. Like this will make sense. I have information i have a recording of you from the plane that went down etc and begrudgingly she agrees um due to it kind of feel he kind of makes it out to be that like he's holding monica hostage but he isn't really so i think they're just kind of like there's only two of you we know who you are there's two of us, I'm more powerful than you, I think we'll be okay. You know, maybe in the scene we don't see, like, they take their weapons, whatever. Uh, and then, like, he's even afraid of the cat, which he calls a flurkin. Like, it's a cat. Uh, goose, which is a flurkin. But, I don't know, I, I guess... Yeah, we move on. We move on. Uh, we hear the recording. So I talked about this before. This is what really happened. She doesn't eject. Uh, she they crash. Marvell and Annette Benning is the Cree. Carol is not. Annette Benning is killed by Jan Rog. Jan Rog and and Carol are at a standoff. Uh, then she shoots the engine. It explodes. It infuses inside of her, and then Jan Rog takes her away. Uh, I love the '95 computer loading thing. On the other hand, <laughs> differently, we start, we get approximately half of the recording staring at the computer screen. So we watch the the, the, the window and, and the bar, the recording bar, plays roughly halfway through the recording. This takes us about 20 seconds. Cut to the flashback. And then we're there in the flashback for like three or four minutes which doesn't make sense unless the recording stops like after the next after the first minute and a half of time maybe like i'll give it that much uh poor poor continuity guys come on like it's like we're 50 percent through this audio file and then we see like another 90 percent of of content it just didn't make sense but very tiny tiny nitpick we get the truth, and this has the desired effect that Talos wanted, in that it shakes again. Now, again, we literally earlier the same day, uh, Carol Veers 
learned that the person she most admires and respects is dead. That person is Cree. She was a pilot on Earth, C-53, who knew her. She is presumed dead. She had an entire family slash friend network uh, that she abandoned six years ago. She didn't remember any of these things, etc., etc. Now she's learning the people that uh, told her and that saved her are bad, killed the person she most respects, kidnapped her, took her off Earth. The people that she's been trained to kill for the last six years if you know, if not all of them are bad, at least these ones aren't. Uh, you know, it just she's been lied to, she's been deceived, she's been conned. Everything. The powers that she has, she didn't get them from the Kree. She got them from this engine. Everything, every single thing she knew in the world is wrong. Not even in the in the universe is wrong. And again. If this was perhaps a weaker person, I think you get these this new information, you're told all these things, and you just crumble. You just break. I don't know how you go on if, you know, when your earth, when your, your reality is so effectively shattered. But, as we saw with the engine... This blast didn't kill her. It made her stronger. As we've seen time and time again, Carol is a very strong person. She has, you know, she she took this blast. She became a Kree. She has these abilities. She has, you know, even by this point, she's been slowly working through these, the first set of revelations she achieves. Now she's going to hit with all these. She doesn't crumble. She doesn't crash. But she's noticeably upset. She is noticeably angry. She is feeling these emotions. And and they are finally like kind of bubbling to the surface in a way that she cannot stop. And it is only six years of being taught to suppress them that she is able to not like, I don't know, rip her hair out and, and like just mow down an entire forest of trees with her photon laser. She's upset. She's angry. She's hurt. Talos comes out. She Talos follows her out first. And he basically says, like, look, like, this is... This is the thing. Like, Dr. Lawson figured it out. And she's was going to help us. You know, we both lost everything everything and he's he's right you know we don't know what he means by everything for himself but obviously she has and you can feel the sincerity you know ben Mendelssohn, great job in this scene i think where he's not being funny he doesn't have any of that aloofness you know this is just him sincerely pleading with her to help he needs to find his family which we will later find learn at learn and she is still, you know, and again, like, this is the kind of thing where, you know, he didn't, he's not really giving her enough time to process. And he's just like, hey, look, now that you know this, like, let's move on. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, look, like, this is still, I'm still way not in control of anything right now. 
And then Maria steps in, and she tells her, look, you are strong, powerful, you know, a pain in the ass, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we know these things. We've seen her long enough. We're, we know her well enough now. I understand and believe all of the, the descriptors she gives her. And we recognize it, and, and, you know, we see this moment, and I don't know that the movie gives us enough uh, this is maybe me giving a little m- more credit than the movie deserves but it does i get the sense that even if this isn't something that has been said by maria before verbatim or maybe it's something maria's remembering that carol told her you know maybe struggling to be a single mom struggling to do this that you know they were both very young fighter pilots uh in the air force but it does seem to be a, a kind of a, a moment that they've shared in the past, some sort of support system they've had for each other. And this is her, you know, stepping up, her being Maria, stepping up and saying, like, look, take a good look at yourself. You are so great. You're this, 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 endless list of accomplishments, achievements, and, and traits. And you know, she gets through to her. And you can kind of sense, like, this is her memories coming back. This is Carol. This is my best friend. This is my sister, basically. You know, this is the person that knows me better than anyone else. This is, you know, I I think if you didn't have you know, if it was the person that you love the most as the supreme being, I could totally see it showing up as Maria instead of Marvel. And she gets through to her, and she, he, she. It's effective. It, it works, and then, and, and like slowly, Veers Carol is able to kind of come to terms with things. Um, so then we cut to them trying to figure out the coordinates. So they're trying to look for this source of the energy. So she blew up the engine, the energy core is somewhere else. They don't know where it is. Uh, and it kind of feels like everyone's kind of distracting themselves with this conversation. And they're like, oh, it's a position vector. It's, it's, you know, out in space orbiting the planet. It's not something that you find on the earth. And he like gives this great, like, you didn't know that? science guy uh science guy's like and then but then he does you know he kind of redeems himself science guy and he's saying you know look i'll i'll fix up the spaceship so that we can or the aircraft so that we can go into space cool good job and then we get carol kind of we get carol convinced and and monica convincing maria to come be their co-pilot, which is great. I like that scene. Uh, I think it does it does a good job of kind of giving us this nice moment, just the three of them, that we really don't get at all in the movie, and kind of showing some of their some of the relationships they probably had before Carol left. 
obviously, you know, Monica much younger, but we get to she leaves, you know, Carol asks Monica to change her colors and she makes them Air Force red and yellow and blue. Which is a nice nice moment. You know, it's it's whatever. They go up in the spaceship. Uh, some more nice character beats and banter between everybody. We get to this masked uh, space station. I forget the term they used. Battle station. Battle cruiser. Battle cruiser? Cree battle cruiser, I think. And uh, the thing that's powering it is the Tesseract, right? So this is the space stone, uh, I do believe. Me. It's the cosmic cube. Introduced in the mid credit scene of Thor. We first, in terms of the timeline, we see it in Captain America, where Red Skull has it. Tesseract is then retrieved by Howard Stark, and then we had we didn't really see it after that except for Thor, until uh, Loki steals it from S.H.I.E.L.D. And in fact, Pegasus, uh, if I remember it correctly. And this is, it was already in, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. had it, Howard Stark had it, he gave it to Pegasus to figure out what it was and understand it. And when Lawson was, Dr. Lawson was working on it. Uh, And so... Lawson was trying to use it to unlock light speed travel, did not get there. Uh, when at the end of this movie, she hands it back over to Shield through Goose, and uh, that's where it ends up prior to Avengers. Yes, Space Stone. Space Stone. So it has the ability. Allows the all right powers capabilities allows the user allows the user to exist in any location, move any object anywhere through throughout reality, warp or rearrange space, teleport themselves and others, increase their speed, and alter the distance between objects contrary to the laws of physics. At full potential, the space gem grants the user omnipresence. Uh, So, yeah, I mean that's. Something uh, that uh, would totally help someone und- uh, discover uh, light speed travel. Yep. Yep. All right. So anyway, uh, that's what's been powering. Uh, that's what Lawson's been doing. We also find, as Talos apparently knew or suspected and understood, I guess I assume he was in contact with Lawson until before she went dark that there are a lot of scroll on this battle cruiser. Uh, in fact, it includes Talos's wife slash partner slash mate and uh, and son slash daughter. Um, I think I forget now that I think about it. I think son. Uh, we're on, we're there, yada, 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 they, they take the Tesseract, uh, then 
Jan Rog shows up uh, on Earth. This is happening simultaneously. Kills Science Guy after he doesn't know whose blood is running through his veins. Uh, he calls in Ronan. He's like, hey, come destroy C-53 with for me. He and his, the Space Force, Star Force, Star Force? Uh, yes, Star Force, go up to the battle cruiser. They, they take it over. Uh, Carol resists for a while, but is ultimately uh, overpowered and sent to the Supreme Intelligence. So I talked about the Supreme Intelligence scene earlier. Again, love the contrast for Annette Benning between these two scenes. Uh, she is really chewing up the scenery. Carol punches her. She throws her with her face. We get this montage of her falling down throughout her entire life, of being knocked to the ground, of, of you know, crashing, of, of etc., falling off the ropes, you know, go-karts, bike, um, nearly getting hit by a straight errant pitch, and so forth. And this is kind of the visual representation of Captain America being, I can do this all day, and standing up over and over again. And while I think the uh, indications and implications are very, very similar, uh, perhaps to the, to, the, to the tune of Carol Danvers is going to step in as the new, you know, kind of point man, point person in S.H.I.E.L.D. or of the Avengers after Endgame, maybe. Um, I love that it's not just a different catchphrase. It's just a visual representation. You know, when she says, you know, my name is Carol, I bought that. You know, she tells her, I am human. Uh, you know, she uses that. She takes off. She resists uh, Supreme Intelligence's attack. She pulls off the suppressor. And she has, and now she's kind of got this unchecked power. And even at, obviously at this stage in the game, she's very powerful, but it's also very clear that she's not in complete control of it. You know, this is the first time she's ever really had this amount of power and she doesn't really, she can use it, but it's not perfectly effective. You know, she's expending unnecessary energy. She's just like Steve Rogers did when he first, you know, got super soldier serum. You know, he's running as fast as he can. He's careening through shop windows you know, he, he's unable to control his momentum. And, you know, she's firing, la you know, photon lasers. And it's like blowing her back uh, in this fight sequence. Uh, which I really like that touch of things. It's, again, another parallel to Steve Rogers, who I think is the kind of role she's going to take over. Or at least that's the role they're presenting her as taking over. Um, so we get her kind of slowly relatively simply dismantling all these other Kree. Uh, people who she probably was toe-to-toe -to -toe with before and is now, you know, well, well above. Uh, eventually, Minerva and Yon-Rog escape uh, after Maria and the rest of the scrolls. Uh, we get the reveal of Goose being a Flurkin, which is an alien. Uh, that has a pocket dimension inside their body. Uh, so the reason a small cat can fit not only the Tesseract, but like four dudes inside of it is pocket dimension. We get uh, 
Minerva's after Maria. They do some cool sort of half pod racer, just like aerial maneuver, top guns type stuff, which I really liked. Maria gets the best gets the best of Minerva and kills her. Then she's got Yanrog on her tail, but by this point, Carol can fly. She zooms through the air. She cuts straight through Yanrog's ship, destroys it, uh, destroys, cuts it, blows it up, and uh, busts it up enough that it crashes. Then, before she can go take care of him, Ronan shows up with his ships. They fire nuclear warheads. And I mentioned this, I think, either in one of my, probably one of my Letterboxd reviews. There's two scenes where they show a nuclear warhead being deployed. Here and prior when they invade the uh, first planet uh, as Star Force. I'm pretty sure it's the same exact scene. And then when they pan over to the nuclear warhead being fired, it's just a different background. I'm pretty sure that's what happens. It might be a slight adjustment in like the camera angle, but it looks like almost exactly exactly identical. Carol goes up, she rearranges the the warheads, blows everything up. Obviously, she's incredibly powerful. She flies through the air, spinning, twirling, twisting. She blows up all these little ships. She goes through an entire nuclear warship of of Ronins and just <laughs> cuts through it like nothing. Uh, you know, rem, you know, reminiscent of Thor when he arrives in Wakanda and he's destroying all of uh, Thanos' ships and things. So now we've got she's got she's being set up as not only Captain America but with the power of Thor and Thor easily, you know, a million times more powerful than Captain America. Doesn't matter, um, you know, whether or not his shield can deflect. Captain America's or uh, can can deflect Thor's hammer. It doesn't matter. Um, so you know she's clearly you know uh, of of the Avengers she's probably the closest amalgamation to those two. And then she kind of just stands in front of or floats in front of Ronan, and he's like, "All right, let's get out of here." And. I don't know. Again, I don't like Ronan in this movie. I I think he doesn't need to be here. I don't I don't know who you put in his place, but maybe even have you know, uh, Jimin Hansu's character not be the one on the part of the infiltration team and have him commanding this part of the force or something. I don't know. Shouldn't have been Ronan. I don't think we needed Ronan in this movie. Or even if we did, just like maybe his voice on the radio or just talking to him or mentioning him. Uh, so Ronan retreats. She goes back down to Jude Law, Yan Rog, and he's like, he, you know, he pulls out his gun, he, he, he sets up his force power gauntlet thing, and Carol's there and she's like glowing and light lit up. And they kind of meet each other, you know, Last Jedi flashbacks uh, between Kylo Ren and, and Luke Skywalker. But they, uh, he, 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 he um, sheathes or, or holsters his gun. He cuts off his, his power and he puts up his fists and he, you know, he's like, look, you, uh, 
I'm so proud of you. Uh, but but if you really think you can beat me, then like I said in the beginning, you got to do it with your fists. You know, turn off the light show, yada, yada, yada. And a lot of things that this scene invokes, you know, obviously you can think of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with, with Harrison Ford shooting the guy with the swords. Um, but the other thing is this is kind of presented up until this exact moment without going a single frame further as this perfect bookend, right? You know, this is, um, you know, this is the hero shucking the, the enhancements that they have to take down their mentor slash rival um, in an equal battle, right? We've seen, I've seen this a lot, it happens all the time, and it shows like, look, I have advanced, I have become stronger than you, uh, I have surpassed you, and it, it's, it's, an, you know, it's an emotionally evocative moment for your main character. And this movie doesn't give us that. <laughs> uh, it actually goes a different direction, and it just has her blast him away. And it's played kind of for humor, and it's funny and then she she reaches him and you know we kind of need more than that that's not quite enough on its own and she tells him I don't need to prove anything to you and that's such a great line because it subverts the expectation first and foremost but it also indicates that just because he's holding her to a standard against himself and she's been trying to live up to that standard for six years presumably and now she's finally come to the understanding I don't need to like your standard is not what I need to judge myself by it's my own I am my own person I can judge myself how I should be it just I, I love it it gave it I just it's it make it means a lot to me to see that in a movie she is her own person she is powerful she does not need to compare herself to this guy not after he treated her the way he did not after he lied to her deceived her no. She grabs him. She drags him over to his ship. She puts in coordinates for Hala, sends him back, and tells him to let the Supreme Intelligence know that she's going to put an end to this war. She shoots the back of the ship with her photon blast, and it sends the ship flying. Um... Then she gives Fury the pager. She tells the scrolls, hey, I'm going to help you find your other people and find a place to, you know, be safe. Fury drafts the Protector's Initiative, then changes the name to the Avengers Initiative when he sees um, that her Dan Carroll's call sign was Avenger, which is cool. She is the foundation of this entire project. Because we kind of assumed that it was Steve Rogers that was this slash Iron Man. Uh, but no, 
it was Carol back in 1995. Uh, at the very end credits scene, we see Goose uh, regurgitate the Tesseract. Uh, so, fine, as, as it expected to be. And then in the mid credit scene, which skips forward to present day, which is uh, takes place after the events of Infinity War, we get Captain America, Black Widow, Bruce Banner, Hulk, and uh, James Rhodes' uh, war machine monitoring the pager. Who knows for how long? And they, it goes off, and then they tell her, tell them to boot it up again, or Black Widow tells them to boot it up again. And she turns around and Carol's there. She snuck up on Captain America, on Black Widow, uh, without them knowing. And she just says, where's Fury? And now we head into Endgame with a very solid understanding of the relationship between Carol and Fury. And understanding you know, their friendship and how they became close. Uh, we get... We are, you know, we're seeing, you know, presumably in the 20-some years, 24, 25 years since then, she has developed her power. She's gained more control over them. She's become even stronger. Uh, she's clearly capable of, you know, be going undetected by some of the most, more difficult <laughs> Avengers to, to sneak up on in Captain, Captain America and Black Widow. She doesn't look any older so either it's the energy coursing through her the Cree blood etc etc all these things indicating that she will have a long shelf life as a person I guess and yeah I'm just I'm so excited to see Endgame you know Infinity War got me excited to see Endgame and I'm not even a big fan of Infinity War but this you know I've heard plenty of critiques about this movie and Again, like, or I guess not again, but admit it, like, it's not perfect. I have my own problems with it. I think it's not, I think it could have done things better. You know, I specifically skipped talking about a lot, some of the action, like on the subway, which is whatever. Uh, but all in all, it, it gets me excited. I, I really enjoyed seeing Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. I think she's great as Captain Marvel. Um... But there are people who didn't like the movie, and that's fine. Like, there are people who didn't like Infinity War, and other people think it's the best Marvel movie, and there are people who didn't like Black Panther, and people who didn't like Iron Man, and people who didn't, you know, there are people who don't like any of the Marvel movies, and there are people who like all of the Marvel movies. So, you know, every every movie is someone's favorite somewhere. Uh, and this movie seems to be the favorite of a lot of people, a lot of places. And... I think it's a good movie. I think it does a great job setting up Endgame. I think it does great um, giving con context for you know Fury's actions in Infinity War. I think it serves as a fantastic origin. I think with the reveal that Talos is not a bad guy, with the reveal that Yonrog is and the Kree are, it it, uh, it services a lot of rewatches. It allows for, you know, hey, look, watch this again and use better context. It, it is written better than many Marvel movies because it does have 
great lines. It has great characterization. I think a lot of the emotional scenes, which, you know, we don't see a lot of these in Marvel movies, are unique. And I think a lot of people who criticize it as, you know, it doesn't do action well enough. It's too slow at times. It's it's boring. It's confusing. I, I think those are people... Maybe not all of them, but I think a lot of them are holding this movie to a standard that they hold, you know, holding these, this movie to a Marvel Cinematic Universe standard. And that's fine in some contexts, but I think when you hold it to a, just a general movie standard, it, it succeeds in ways that it doesn't when you hold it to a Marvel Cinematic Universe standard. Uh, and, and, you know, that is why it's films like that that are kind of, greater than what they represent you know greater than the piece of the puzzle that they are in this franchise like a black panther i think you hold it to a movie standard and it is better than it is as perhaps a marvel movie first and foremost so yeah i i'm a big fan and um, I realize this has been a very long episode. Man, that's an hour and 40 minutes. Jeez. Uh, okay. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you want to talk to me about Captain Marvel, anything really, find me on Twitter at Circle of Film. Send me an email, circleoffilm.com. Look at any of my reviews on Letterboxd at Circle of Film. You can find follow the website and other things on the website and stuff like that. Circleoffilm.com. At Circle of Film. Letterbox, Twitter, circlefilm at gmail.com. Circlefilm.com is the website. Or if you want to support the show, show uh, iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, like, whatever. I don't know how that works. I do, but uh, or patreon.com slash circle of film. Uh, you can be a patron for as little as eight cents an episode thank you for listening to today's episode it does mean a lot i'm sorry it was so long i didn't realize uh but i appreciate it if you did stay to the end and as always have a week so long farewell i'll be the same good night i know she'll never leave me even as she fades from Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.